We're in the fourth and final week of a series called Beauty and Wonder. And the idea of the series is, what if in January our whole congregation paused over and over again and noticed what was beautiful? One of the interesting things is when we stop and notice what's beautiful, it changes us. And so you being here this morning and watching these 35 kids or whatever get their Bibles, and did you see how they grabbed it? Did you see uh, how eager they were? Did you watch them climb up the steps carefully so they wouldn't? Just beautiful. This thing was filled with beauty. And because you were here and saw it, you'll leave the room different. You'll think different thoughts today. And that's the idea of beauty and wonder. The, uh, the ancients, the, the, first the Greeks and then the early church fathers, they thought there were three virtues that um, human beings uh, had in their lives. And they would chase after. One was truth, one was goodness, and one was beauty. And so we've hung on to that as Christians. And so we seek to, we have a slide on this, we seek to believe what is true, right? You come here and you're trying to like grab a hold in your mind. What's true? What's true? What's true? And we try to be what is good. Yes, we try to be what is good. We try to be the neighbor we want to be. We try to be the fathers we want to be. We try to be, try to be what is good. And this third one is the one we maybe let slip a bit in the church. We try to behold what is beautiful. Believe what is true. Be what is good. Behold what is beautiful. When we stop and see the beauty around us, it changes us. We're different inside. Climb a mountain, go to Colorado, climb a mountain, sit on the peak of the mountain, and look around at creation, and you will behold beauty. And that will change the way you feel, and uh, you'll come down from that mountain slightly different. And there's beauty everywhere around us. It's not just in nature. It's not just what we see. Uh, I've been struck by, because this month I've been doing this, I've been pausing and looking for beauty. So really cold this week. Some of you don't call that beautiful. Some of you have other words for that. Uh, but my granddaughter, Kaya, uh, all week long, as I would uh, get her back to our house after I pick her up in the morning, bring her back before school, she would go over to our garage door window and point out the frost pattern on the window. She'd say, did you see this? Look at this. And it's just incredible. And what it taught me, again, is uh, our lives are filled with beauty if we just have eyes for it. And often it's our kids who help us see that. Lynn and I went for a walk in the woods on New Year's Eve day. And I don't know if you remember back then, but it was nice, soft snow. It was uh, beautiful. It wasn't too cold. We went for a walk. And we're out for over an hour. We see no one. And then all of a sudden, walking towards us is this big guy with a beard and his wife. And uh, we walk a little farther, and I, in my mind, I go, I think that's Doug Tenson. <laughs> and uh, we get a little closer, and there it is, Doug and Deb. So in this beautiful nature... We have this laughter and friendship and conversation right in the middle of the woods with this couple, the only ones we saw for an hour. And it's beautiful. And we leave that conversation a little bit different on Christmas morning. I had the, uh, and a lot of you had the same experience. Uh, you're with a grandchild or your children, and they're eager for presents. And I'm with 
uh, uh, one of our grandkids, and she cannot stand still. It's like, oh, is it time yet? Is it time to open? Is it time? Is it time? And uh, the beauty of that, just the energy that it brings, it comes in all kinds, all kinds uh, of ways. So let's define our terms first. Beauty. We have a slide. Beauty is the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that pleasurably exalts the mind or spirit. What does that mean? Exalts. Lifts up. Upgrades. So you want to upgrade your mind or your spirit? You want to lift up your mind or your spirit? What do you do? You look for this quality of beauty in the circumstances in your life. And it's everywhere. If we stop and see it. Now, there's the other word, wonder. Take a look at this. Wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful. A couple weeks ago, I was in northern Minnesota on uh, the Superior Trail, and uh, it was incredibly winterish and incredibly beautiful. And as I went for my first walk up there, I was like surprised at how beautiful, how could it be more beautiful in the dead of winter than in the spring? But the beauty surprised me, and I began to admire the creator who gave us this. And uh, so beauty and wonder. Wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration. Sitting on the top of a mountain, or some of you are skiers, skiing off the top of a mountain, and you look around and you go, wow, God is big. God is good. God has created a beautiful world. It's amazing. The beauty of a family getting an unexpected gift from our cup of cold water fund. The beauty of a kid who can't go to camp, but all of a sudden the church is able to help scholarship that young person so they can go to camp. The beauty of that surprise that comes into a life. The beauty of a neighbor or a coworker or a friend who you never hear say a bad word about anyone. Do you know that person? They just never have a bad word to say about anyone. That's beauty. And that changes us. Now, it's true that beauty is sometimes in the eye of the beholder. That's true. I know you've been wondering, what's Dave got up here in this bag? Well, I'm glad. Let me tell you. Beautiful. Is that not beautiful? Some of you don't see it. You don't see the beauty. My grandma gave me this. She's been gone for 30 years. My grandma gave me this when um, I was eight years old. She bought it in a dollar store, but in those days, you called them dime stores. And um, it's true. Those of you old enough, you know that. Um, this is like a cheap ceramic Santa that's chipped, that's quite ugly. I love this. And every year, when we get out our Christmas decorations, I look at this, because it doesn't, it's not a Santa to me. It's the only possession I have from my grandma. 
And my grandma and I, was, I was her first grandchild, and we had this special relationship, incredibly special. So I get this out, and I go, beautiful. My wife says, ugly. <laughs> Can we throw that thing away? And uh, our grandkids have understood, come to understand how Lynn and I feel differently about this. And so every time they come to our house, all, all winter, all Christmas season, they go into my desk, take it off my desk, and put it on our mantle. <laughs> so when Lynn comes into the room, there's Santa. <laughs> now this year they took it one step farther. Kale is our teenage grandson. And every time he left, he took Santa and hid him somewhere where Linda would find him later. So one day she's pulling down the cover by her pillow, and there's Santa. <laughs> One day she climbs into the shower, and there's Santa! <laughs> Beautiful, right? Beautiful. We, uh, my son Ben started a tradition, uh, because Lynn's the primary decorator of our Christmas tree, and uh, when he would come over, he would stick some crazy item or two into the tree. And then later on, you would think you would be enjoying the tree, and you would go, what's that pop can in there? <laughs> or what's that little lampshade doing hanging on? And then that was like a game. Well, we've continued the game, and now Kaya and I, every year as soon as Grandma gets the tree decorated, we go looking for pop cans. And we stick them in there all season. And we forget that when people come and visit us, they don't know the game. So someone came and visited us like a week after Christmas and he was in the living room for quite a while and finally he asked Linda, what's the deal with the Pepsi cans? <laughs> you know, what, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? And so what you see as beautiful and what changes you is somewhat different than what your spouse or your children or uh, your church members or your coworkers or neighbors. What God designed as beautiful to be held by you and change you might be different than for someone else. And some of them are a lot the same. So here's, though, what I want to bring this morning. Because um, the idea is this story of faith that we celebrate, the story of faith that we celebrate so strongly every Sunday when we come and in our lives, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But sometimes... We only want to focus on the believe what is true. We only want to focus on the be what is good. And we forget that as we're telling the story of God and why we love him, we need to help others behold what's beautiful about the story. Behold what's beautiful. And there's so much beautiful about the story you've come to worship God about this morning. Uh, the first thing that... Uh, Yes, we must believe what is true. Yes, we must be what is good. But even more, or at least as much, we must behold what's beautiful about the story. So all of Christmas season, as I watched our teachers at Christmas season, there was this one theme that kept coming up all of December and on Christmas Eve. John 1.18 describes the theme. Here it is. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who's that? Jesus. But God the one and only, Jesus who is at the Father's side now in heaven, has made him known. This was the theme. The theme was, and the incredibly beautiful part, is you want to know anything about God? Look at Jesus. 
You want to know how God loves people? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God forgives sins? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God is willing to sacrifice for your future? Look at Jesus. This is incredibly beautiful. There's no other God story on the planet like this. And yet we forget the beauty of it. When these kids get their Bibles and they open up their Bibles, we hope they open them to the New Testament. We hope they start reading right away about this picture of Jesus. The teaching team also thought, Dave, you ought to talk about the beauty of the way Jesus used power. There's a lot of focus on power right now in our culture, in our businesses, in our politics. A lot of focus on power. And one of the beautiful things is how Jesus used his power. For he was the most powerful man who ever lived on the planet. He had more power than anyone else ever will. And so they said, let's look at how Jesus used power. And so uh, I've got a slide on this, uh, Luke 23, beginning with 33. Let's look at how Jesus used his power. Because this is beautiful. When they came to the place called the skull, it's the hill where Jesus was crucified, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, how's he going to use his power? In the garden, the night before when he was arrested... He told his disciples, don't you understand that if I want to, I can call down a legion of angels and they can wipe out my enemies? Jesus said that. I have that power. So now he's hanging on the cross and and is he going to call down that legion of enemies? Is that how he's going to use his power? Because he sure could have. No. Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. That's how he used his power. That is one crazy, beautiful way to use your power. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, they misunderstood power. They said, he saved others. Let him prove he has power by saving himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They had an understanding of power. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, prove you have power and save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hang there hurled insults at him because he misunderstood the use of power. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now here's his use of power. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in heaven. You see, uh, the cross was a symbol Before this day, the cross was a symbol of torture and death. It was the Roman instrument of torture and death. What we ought to do, instead of having a cross up here, we ought to have an electric chair. 
or a noose. It would actually communicate more clearly to our culture what the cross was meant to communicate. It was torture and death. And on this one day, it flipped. And it became a symbol of the new axis of power, which is forgiveness and love. Why do people wear it around their necks now? Why do they get shirts with crosses on them? Why do churches put them up front? Not because it's an instrument of torture and death, but because that whole view of power has flipped. And it happened when Jesus looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because he used power in a beautiful, beautiful way. Powering down with humility to follow God is the way of the kingdom. Love and forgiveness is the new axis of power. And we as individuals, followers of Christ, and we as the church worldwide have to keep our hands on this new axis of power, forgiveness and love, humility. Because we live in a world with the person with the most power, the biggest gun, wins. And Jesus' message was incredibly beautiful. False. It's not true. And he proved it on the cross. Remember when the soldiers came to arrest him? Peter was still confused about the power. And so the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden. And what did Jesus do? He went for his power. He, uh, Peter, he pulled out a knife and he sliced off an ear. And what did Jesus say? He said, we're not going to use power that way, Peter. And he reached down on the ground and he put the ear back on the soldier, right? And a lot of people believe that soldier is the same one that was standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus said, forgive them. And then that soldier whispered, surely this is the Son of God. Why? Because he saw this new axis of power. This is beautiful, and this attracts people to the church and the gospel. This kind of use of power. Jesus helped, used his power to help others over and over and over again. Quieting a storm when people were afraid, feeding 5,000 when they were hungry, healing the blind or the leper, forgiving the rich or the poor, forgiving those who betrayed and denied him. He used his power in those ways over and over. And this is a part of the beauty. And as you're sharing your faith story, do you help those around you who are having trouble believing? Do you help them see the beauty of the story? The beauty of the story. Now, the Beatitudes is the beginning of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament, Matthew 5. And Jesus is explaining this a little bit in the Beatitude. And he says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Now, he's talking about this new axis of power. Brian Zond, who uh, did some work on this that we read, uh, rewrote that first, pair, uh, that first uh, Beatitude this way. Blessed are the quiet and content the humble and the unassuming, the gentle and the trusting, who are not grasping and clutching. For God will personally guarantee their share when heaven and earth become one. Now, some of you in your head right now, there's a part of your brain that's going, you can't live this way in this world. You don't work in my workplace. You don't uh, live in my family. If you don't power up, and defend yourself, you're going to get walked on. 
Some of you have those in your head. And I don't blame you, and I have some of those in my head. The problem is, Jesus modeled a different way. Power structures of our world say, if you want to live that way, you're an idiot. You want to run a business that way, you'll go bankrupt. You want to hire and fire people that way, it's not going to work in the real world. Jesus lived in the real world, and it worked. Uh, here's what uh, First Peter says. Uh, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't stand up and defend himself. He didn't call down a legion of angels. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have to hire and fire. Yes, you do. But you have to do, those of you in those positions, but you do have to do it with kindness. You have to understand this axis of power that's, that's uh, forgiveness and love. Yes, people have to be held accountable. Jesus held his disciples accountable. Um, but the new axis of power you and I live with and try to understand is forgiveness and love. It looked like the power system. When Jesus died on the cross, if you'd have called a pause right there and said, who won? It was real clear. Pilate. Caiaphas, um, uh, Herod, they would have said, well, look, we won. Our power is the power. But Easter Sunday morning, when the tomb was empty and Jesus walked out, a new axis of power began. And this is beautiful. This is like beautiful. This is what deep in your heart you hope is true that there's a new way for power to be used. And your family and this church and ch Christian churches across the world need to understand this new form of power that Jesus uh, takes us to. And when we do it, the world takes notice. Uh, four weeks ago, Ed was in here, Ed Baker, and he was doing a teaching, and I was sitting over there listening and learning, and uh, he told the story that he had heard on NPR and some of you are here, but I'm going to retell the story because it it's exactly fits this point. There was a uh, military surgeon who was stationed in Afghanistan, and his job was to heal soldiers who were injured by uh, explosions and uh, bullets. And he worked hard on that. But once in a while, they would capture an enemy soldier who needed the same kind of help, and this surgeon would give that help. That's beautiful. We were shooting at him one minute, and now we're putting him on a table to heal him another. But that wasn't the end of the story. Then they would hang a sign outside the tent telling American soldiers what kind of blood, what type of blood was needed for this surgery. And Ed said, the NPR announcer and the surgeon said, uh, the soldiers would line up to give their blood for the enemy. And Ed said, isn't that beautiful? 
It's a perfect reflection of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He poured his blood out for his enemies who were us. That's this new axis of power. And we look at it and we go, that's a beautiful thing. Years ago, when an evil gunman entered an Amish schoolhouse and shot ten girls and killed five of them, and then he killed himself, our news media was so taken by the Amish parents who attended the funerals of their own children, and then they attended the funeral of the shooter in order to give support to his parents and family. The media declared, this is beautiful. This is unheard of. This is something different. So they interviewed the parents, and they said because they were followers of Christ, they had to forgive their enemies, and it wasn't this mother and father's fault anyway. And then I went, uh, googled CBS reports, and I found this a year later, a year after that shooting. Every Thursday, this mother of the shooter, this is CBS's words, now cares for the more seriously wounded survivor of the shooting who's 13 years old. You have this mother who raised a son who did this horrific damage to this young woman and the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and care for this young woman and the parents of the young woman who was shot welcome this mother of the shooter into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. CBS's words, now my words, this reflects the cross of Jesus. And this is attractive to a world looking for truth that actually works. What if we could grab this in 2019? And what if when we spot beauty, whether it's on a frosted window, or an icicle, or kids getting Bibles, what if in our heads we said, that's just like God. That's his gift of beauty. And I know we live in a broken world. And I know that a lot of you came in today and there's pain. I, I, I know that. I, I definitely know that. But even in the midst of that pain, if you could find that beauty and let it point you to God and let it change your heart today. That's the kind of attractive faith that will draw people who are seeking truth to this gospel. It is. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for being a God who invites us to behold beauty. And we live in a broken world, and there's a lot of people in this room right now who are in all kinds of pain. There are health pain, financial pain, relationship pain, uh, uh, future questions about the future pain, uh, I mean, there's all kinds, all kinds of pain in this room, Father. And we came in with it. And without taking a focus off of that, without taking anything away from how much it hurts to be in pain, Father, I ask that you would help every one of us see something beautiful today that's a gift from you. Right in the midst of the disease, right in the midst of the relationship brokenness. Father, uh, help us see something beautiful and help it and let it change us, please, because it will.
And Father, thank you for the good gifts in life that are right amidst the brokenness. Be with us as we uh, sing a couple more songs to lift up your name, to uh, center ourselves on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.